The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. And they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. Welcome to Talk is Jericho is the pod of thunder and rock and roll. And today we're back to the rock and roll with a deep dive into the death of Prince. Carl Stern, host of the When It Was Cool Dark podcast, joins to talk about the circumstances surrounding the music's legend's death in 2016 and share his theory on what he believes happened. You might recognize Carl's name from Wrestling Observer Newsletter. He's been a longtime contributor, been writing for them since before Dave Meltzer started there. So if you don't know, Prince was found dead in an elevator on his Paisley Park estate, April 21st, 2016, from an accidental overdose of fentanyl. Now, Carl, who's also a police officer on the southeastern part of the states, explains why it was ruled an accidental overdose and the significance of Prince being among the first well-known public figures to die from fentanyl. We talk about the painkillers that Prince was taking as a result of his injuries from performing and playing live, jumping around on stage. We discuss the role his religion may have played in the way he was treating his chronic pain. Prince was a Jehovah's Witness, as we all know. We go through the unscheduled stop, his plane made in the days prior to his death, because it's believed that Prince suffered an overdose on that plane. We talk about the doctors that were involved to help both Prince manage his pain and get him off fentanyl. Only problem is the intervention was literally hours too late as the doctor arrived to first responders recovering Prince's body from the elevator. Just missed his window. As I mentioned, Carl's also a police officer has been on the front lines of the illegal fentanyl drug trade and on front lines of the meth battle before that. He speaks to the rise of both drugs and how fentanyl overtook meth to become the drug of choice for both drug cartels to manufacture and for users as well. It's a fascinating and insightful conversation with Carl Stern, and we'll get to it after this quick reminder. Still a few cabins left for Chris Jericho's Rock and Wrestling Rager at sea, the four-leaf clover. We set sail February 2nd, 2023. We're going to our very own private island for the first time ever, Grand Stirrup K. we got a stacked lineup of talent as well. AEW will be on the ship. Tons of great music. Fozzie, Quarantine, Raven, The Band, Quiet Riot, Royal Bliss, Dave Spivak Project, Quarantine's going to be there. And of course, like I said, Fozzie playing three shows on the cruise. We got comedy, paranormal. Uh, Dave Schrader, the Paranormal 60 will be there. Live podcasts, including Talk is Jericho, and so much more. Come enjoy the vacation of a lifetime and also see the inaugural crowning of the Jericho Cruise Oceanic Champion. We know for sure that Moose is going to be in it. Flip Gordon is waiting to see who the winner of the four-man tournament is to go straight to the finals for the very first Jericho Cruise Oceanic Championship. Book your cabin now and be a part of it. See who the first champion is going to be. Go to ChrisJerichoCruise.com and get all your cabin information. 
All right, we're talking about the death of Prince with Carl Stern right here, right now on Talk is Jericho. All right, so I noticed the other day looking at the Wrestling Observer uh, newsletter website, a, a show by uh, Carl Stern about the death of Prince. And Carl, I assume you're a regular contributor to the uh, Wrestling Observer newsletter website? Absolutely. I'm proud to say, actually, that I predate Dave Meltzer at Wrestling Observer website. Back when Brian was doing it, before Dave came along, I had done a, uh, a newsletter. Of course, I'm a wrestling historian. Of course. You know, contributed to Brian's books and been there a while doing uh, some great pro wrestling history work mostly, but I also do a show, took it up from Brian. He did a show called After Dark that dealt with paranormal matters and things like that, you know, just news of the weird, strange, and odd. And as his schedule got more complex, uh, I started being on there co-hosting that show and just ultimately took it over. And it's been going for over 300 episodes now. And I started uh, sort of making it more to go along with my own website, which was whenitwascool.com. We cover retro pop culture. And so I started a series called 100 of the Darkest Moments in Pop Culture History. If Prince's death isn't among the top one of those, I don't know what it is because it, we lost one of the greatest performers of, of our generation and of many generations when Prince uh, you know, accidentally overdosed back in 2016. It was a, it was a terrible terrible tragic loss for the world of entertainment and culturally speaking pop culture. I mean, he was a he was a huge deal. Music, movies, and, and and more. I always love seeing when and Brian used to do like you said after dark. Seeing guys that are and I do the same thing. Let's move out and do other topics and other stories. The reason why this one really stuck to me is because once again, you're talking about two, and I'm, I'm including Prince with Michael Jackson, two of the of the all time greatest performers, and possibly the two biggest musical acts, rock stars, pop stars, whatever you want to say, of the 80s. And yet they both died kind of similarly, but also very mysteriously. No one really knows for sure. I mean, you you know a little bit more about Michael Jackson, but nothing really about the death of Prince. Oh, like you said, he overdosed on fentanyl, and it's very topical right now because it's happening all the time. But Prince's story and and, and the, the circumstances surrounding his death we're never really focused on, in my opinion. You know, and th- that kind of goes along with Prince's entire life. Right. And Prince was a very private person. We, When you think about what we really know about Prince's background, it's surprisingly very little. I mean, he was, he was a very private person, even in his death. So much work was found, in, you know, in his vault there at his home. Yeah. You know, he, he done so much. He was so prolific in what he did. And his death and the manner it was discovered and the way it was initially called in to uh, first responders was all left a lot more questions than there were answers. And I think when you have people that are very protective about their privacy, like Michael Jackson and like Prince, who are such a different level of superstar than even most superstars. I mean, these are megastars that does open for a lot of conspiracy theories, it opens for a lot of questions. And anytime you have a lot of unanswered questions and lots of privacy, the World Wide Web, the, the, the social media oftentimes springs to life and, and covers, uh, you know, starts its own investigations into that. I mean, you look at this, the true crime genre of podcasting. Sure. I mean, how many podcasts do you think have been done 
about the death of Prince, but I'm sure there there are many hundreds probably, all speculating. You know, we're 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 doing the first one here today on Talk Is Jericho, and um, just a little bit of background. So so and like you said, the stuff that was found in the vaults at Paisley Park, possibly 500 songs or more. Prince was very reclusive, very mysterious. A, a quick story before we get started is that my friend Kevin Smith, who is a filmmaker, obviously everyone knows that. Kevin was hired by Prince to do a documentary on his life, was given all access to all the material in the vaults, all video, all audio, was paid a certain amount of money, made the documentary over a six-month period, took it to Paisley Park, watched it in Prince's Theater. Prince said, this is amazing. I love it. Kevin said, what are you going to do with it? He goes, nothing. I just wanted you to make a documentary of me. So somewhere in those vaults, there's a Kevin Smith Prince documentary that no one will ever see because Prince didn't want it. So he was very much a mysterious, whimsical type of entertainer like that. Yeah, he was uh, so charismatic and so he operated so outside the norms of even entertainment. But that's where such great creativity comes from. I actually forgot about the Kevin Smith documentary that he was working on, and that is so fascinating. I mean, some people even estimate there could be up to 1,000 right. unreleased songs in there. That's a two more lifetimes worth of, of work for a, a normal artist. I mean, you yourself being in the music industry, I mean, you're looking at 12, you know, 14 songs in the album is, is, is a lot. And so how many years is that going to you know, would that take if you've got a thousand songs just in queue waiting for the waiting for the world to hear? He was such an amazing songwriter and so prolific and such a incredible musician. I mean, and that's one of the things that I think is so underappreciated about Prince is, I mean, I, I honestly, you know, I have somewhat of a, a music background myself. I don't play guitar, but I know many guitarists. Prince is considered really one of the greatest ever. And I don't think it's in terms of pop culture uh, credibility, he gets that. We, we know about the Jimmy Pages. We know about the Eric Clapton's. We know about all, you know, Eddie Van Halen's. And that's not to say they're not incredible. They are, obviously. I mean, Eddie Van Halen, my gosh, you know, one of the greatest ever, if not the greatest. But Prince is on that same shelf. Right. I mean, he's up there, and we never hear about that. We never hear about him talked about in the same terms as uh, Jimi Hendrix or no. something like that, and I think we should. Yeah. You, you ever see the, um, I believe it was George Harrison tribute concert after he passed away, they play While My Guitar Gently Weeps, you were shaking your head because you know Prince whips out this probably three, three four-minute solo, guitar solo, with Tom Petty and uh, Danny Harrison is on stage and all the cats. And my favorite part of it is he just rips off this amazing solo wearing like a red blazer and a red red kind of fedora. And then he just throws his guitar up in the air and it never comes down. I still don't know how <laughs> yeah. the hell he did that. <laughs> my, my favorite part of that too is Tom Petty singing this realizes what's happening. He realizes this is an iconic moment and he was going to sing while my guitar gently weeps till he died if necessary <laughs> to let that go on. It was just... Just incredible. It's absolutely an incredible moment. Well, and also incredible, too, because P Tom Petty also passed away of, uh, I don't think it was fentanyl, but very, very similar kind of. It was part of the, I mean, it, it was certainly uh, opioid involved. There I mean, you go. Yeah. So so you got, you got Tom Petty, Prince, and to an extent, Michael Jackson, all passing away of similar opioid uh, deaths in a lot of different ways. So, And so many people in America, I mean, they can relate to this. I mean, you think about middle America and the opioid epidemic 
it touches beyond that. I mean, it's not just the poor and impoverished. It's not just the, you know, the person that's lived a hard life. It is very, very famous people with a with a wealth of money and knowledge and creativity that's also fallen uh, victim to this demon. Sure. That's profound if you really think about it. I don't care who you are. You're not immune to it. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. So let's kind of go into to, to some of the details here and talk about it from prior to this, but... Prince passed away uh, April 21st, 2016. He was 57 years old, and everyone knows he passed away in Paisley Park. But let's talk about the circumstances and story that, that led to this moment, Carl. One of the things that I discovered when I was doing the uh, Dragon King Dark podcast on this was that I had actually forgotten there was a, a, a situation that predated this just a little bit, that he actually had canceled a, a concert in, in Atlanta, Georgia at the Fox Theater. And it was blamed on the flu. It was blamed on him. And perhaps that was part of it. But there was rumblings even then. This was, you know, some a little over a week before that. There was something going on. Clearly, I think the evidence suggests that he was having some real problems leading up to this with some sort of, of, of opioid sort of situation. And, uh, you know, he was prescribed some medication. And it actually seems, I mean, the doctor who is uh, Michael T. Schillenberg, a Minneapolis area doctor, apparently was his uh, doctor who was legitimately treating him. There, there were no criminal charges against uh, anybody involved in this. And what makes it so especially tragic is it seems like this was not a case of Prince you know, for lack of a better term, quote, being on drugs. Mm. It seems like, if anything, he was trying to get off of it. He was trying to not fall victim further to addiction. And uh, he was going through this doctor to do so. It appears that somehow in his medication, there became mixed up some uh, pills that contained fentanyl. And these, obviously, I mean, this was heavily investigated, not just by the local Minneapolis Police Department, but also by the FBI. They become involved in the FDA as well. And uh, it appears that somehow that had gotten in there and he took it thinking it was the legitimate medication that he had been prescribed uh, by his doctor. And uh, so he's, he takes that. He's probably is sick with the flu. He's taken some medication also to counteract opioid addiction. And he just somehow, and, and you know, who knows how many people he has, you know, coming and going, uh, fetching his medication, it bringing to. We don't know. We don't know any of that. It's just speculation to think. But somehow, in this process, some pills containing fentanyl got in there, and it caused him to overdose. Thinking he was taking, actually, I think he actually uh, thought he was taking uh, buprenorphine, which is a legitimate medication, and instead he was taking something that contained fentanyl. So you're saying that, and once again, can you do you have any um, explanation to what fentanyl is? Absolutely, Chris. 
in my personal life, I'm a police officer. I've been a police officer for 29 years. Right. So, yes, I have unfortunately been through. I've, I've seen a cyclical nature of uh, the opioid epidemic. It didn't start there. It started with really in throughout middle America in the deep south where I'm located. I'm, I'm located in, in uh, the southeastern United States. And we had a terrible methamphetamine problem here. And this was the one just like, you know, you th- everybody thinks when they hear methamphetamine, they think of Breaking Bad, the TV show. Right. And honestly, this actually got a lot of accuracies in that show. That show really portrayed uh, the methamphetamine trade uh, in, in a more realistic way than one would think. These were very dangerous laboratories. These were giant labs you know, that were super dangerous. These uh, red phosphorus labs, I've run raids on many of those. Those are the ones that when they blow up, they'll level a building. These are huge bombs waiting to happen. Well, then they downsize the operation. Uh, It becomes the, uh, what we call shake and bake labs. These were the small ones made like Mountain Dew bottles that were more like a hand grenade, but still super dangerous. And the problem then is not, you know, it's less dangerous than the red phosphorus labs, but then it becomes more readily available. Anybody with an internet connection and a way to look up how to make it and a Mountain Dew bottle can make their meth. And it's super dangerous. And, and so many people become addicted to it. And it just absolutely devastated middle America and the southeastern United States. When fentanyl starts coming in, the methamphetamine crisis had switched over to the opioid crisis. So many people that were addicted to methamphetamine began getting on opioids, things like Oxycontin and things of that nature, you know, as a replacement drug. Uh, they, uh, law enforcement, lawmakers started cracking down on the uh, ingredients to make methamphetamine. So they switched to uh, something else, which is the opioids. And they start doctor jumping and going to states with lax laws to get lots of things like Oxycontin and, and lower tabs and things of that nature. Now, society has cracked down on that with more strict laws. We have the illicit fentanyl coming in. Now, fentanyl is a legitimate medication. It's been used to treat cancer patients. It's a synthetically created, it's created in a laboratory and used in things like pain patches and, and stuff like that. We first started seeing this actually with people breaking open pain patches and eating the inside out. Of oh, wow. Yes. Mm. And people becoming violently sick. We would get calls to people that were just violently sick because they were taking pain patches and eating the inside or pulling somehow the the uh, medication out of the patches and, and you know, drinking it in a, a tea form or something like that. Well, that was fentanyl. That was our first exposure to actually legitimate fentanyl being used in an illicit manner. But then, as happens and happened with the methamphetamine trade, and if you you know watch Breaking Bad, right? Mexico, the Mexican drug cartels start mass producing methamphetamine. It starts showing up here in the form of ice and and things like that. Well, the same thing happened to fentanyl. Fentanyl becomes you know, mass produced in synthetic laboratories in Mexico, trafficked into the United States and drug cartels, and are now being put into various types of medication. It's now being added to heroin and cocaine. We're getting, I'm seeing a lot of uh, mixing with cocaine, and it just amplifies those drugs, but it's also being stamped out in pill presses into what looks like prescription medication, uh, small pills and whatever shape they they stamp them out in, filled with, and here's the problem, Chris, an unknown amount of fentanyl. And it doesn't take much fentanyl to kill you. Now, 
there's been a lot of hype about fentanyl. You know, oh, if I touch it, it's going to kill me. Oh, you see, uh, there was a story even recently in the news wires about someone picking up a dollar bill right. and overdosing on it. As it turns out, that was not true. That was a media hype story. And even the, the person that actually was the story was about came out and said, look, I never tested for fentanyl. That's not what happened here. Gotcha. But these stories come out and they scare people. And you should be cautious. And, 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 and people in law enforcement absolutely should be cautious and take precautions, wear plastic gloves, things like that. But it's not one of these things like they're making out to be that if you're in the same room and actually touch a grain of it, you're going to die. But a very small amount is lethal. Just the amount of you think like a sweet and low packet or a small packet of sugar you get in a restaurant or something, that amount is lethal and ingested. Gotcha. So it's very dangerous. And we don't know, generally speaking, anybody who uses these uh, in pill form, don't know who made these pills, don't know how accurate their you know fentanyl additive is or how it's going to react to them. And so that's why we're having so many uh, fentanyl overdose deaths now. And, and they are skyrocketing. I mean, it's becoming very much epidemic because you don't know that pill you take. It's not like the Oxycontin you were getting a few years ago from the doctor and taken that was produced, the FDA approved. It's just you're using it wrong. This is not. This is made by somebody that doesn't know necessarily what they're doing and uh, doesn't really care what they're doing to get it out there on the streets. So it's super dangerous, Chris. And uh, people need to be very, very cautious about medication of any kind that they don't know the origin source of. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. What I want to talk about is let's let's go back through the last few uh, weeks uh, of Prince's life. What I want you to talk about is he canceled a couple shows in Atlanta, and then he rescheduled the show and, and flew back to Minneapolis but then had to divert and land his plane. What was going on with that? Tell, can I kind of get into it there and let's go through the last few weeks of his life. Yeah. And again, I, I, I had forgotten parts of the story and I think parts of the story may have only came out uh, later and afterwards. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Cause again, it's, it's, you got to remember he was one of the very first well-known people to have a run-in with fentanyl. So we really didn't know, and nobody really knew what was going on at that time. But uh, anyway, he flew back to the uh, Quad Cities Airport in Moline, Moline Illinois. And uh, he was hospitalized. That was, they, had they had to make an emergency stop there, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And he was hospitalized. They used the medication that is used for opioid overdoses. So was he using opioid drugs illicitly, or was he even then taking something he thought was legitimate right. that was tainted? Well, I don't know. We don't know. And if they know, I, I don't know. But something was going on there for sure. And he begins overdosing on that. Now, he ended up leaving the hospital uh, against medical advice. And, you know, at some point in time, he just gets up and, and, and leaves and he goes back to his home. And there is there that the timeline gets a little strange. Uh, you know, some of the first responders there. And again, 
Mind you, when you get these quotes and news stories about, oh, it appears he had been dead for maybe six hours, that's oftentimes, and I, I can't say in this particular circumstance, but that's oftentimes the media speculating or a first responder off the cuff says, you know, hey, it looks like you've been dead a while, maybe six hours, and them running with that quote. Truth is, we don't really know. Right. Uh, but it does appear when they found him there that he had uh, he had succumbed to an overdose sometime possibly many hours earlier before he was found. And so there was no chance or hope of resuscitating him then. And this could actually have been, and when you hear the term overdose, many people, I think, understand that to mean somebody just took a large quantity of drugs right then and killed them. That's not always necessarily the case. It can build up toxicity. You can be taking a small amount of drugs for a long period of time and eventually just hit that threshold hmm. and it becomes fatal at that point. So it may not be, you know, the idea that people may have that he goes into some back room and snorts uh, 20 lines of fentanyl and dies. No, no, no. It may have been building up for a matter of, of weeks. And if the story is in fact accurate, that he had, you know, been diverted to the hospital and put in there and then walked out against medical uh, advice, it, it could have been building up toxicity in his body for, for some time. And it could have been the proverbial, you know, straw that broke the camel's back instead of, hey, I'm doing a bunch of drugs here. Well, it's interesting, too, because after that unscheduled stop you mentioned in Quad Cities so for the next couple of days, you know, Prince is, is out riding his bike and he's at Paisley Park at a dance party and he's shopping at a record store and going to a gig. You know, those three, three or four days, he's kind of back up to snuff. But then the next day is when he finally is, you know, found dead. So was he suffering pain? Because I've heard some stories that he had a, a lot of issues from performing uh, for so many years at such a high physical level. Was this something that was chronic for him that you know of? It seems to be. But my understanding of the situation is that. And he was a very dynamic performer, as you, as you know. He was not right. a stand on the stage in front of the microphone and sing your greatest hits kind of performer. He put a lot of physicality into his performances. And uh, I'm sure, you know, he was always seemed to keep himself in, in great shape and stuff. As you mentioned, he was out riding his bike and, and things like that. So even though that might have been the case, you know, he probably had in his last few days moments of where he probably felt okay. It probably did just as it, he explained there in Atlanta. Honestly, it's been my experience with people who have long-term or at least, you know, a growing toxicity in their body of uh, this type of medication or, or, or opioids or something like that. Flu-like symptoms is a very accurate description. Right. And he may have very well felt quite well that day. I think he went to the Dakota Jazz Club and uh, saw a singer there, you know, and which is amazing, you know, speaks to how still involved he is in the scene. That doesn't sound like uh, someone who's, I'm smoking a bunch of methamphetamine, shooting up with heroin and everything else in their apartment for months at a time, and you don't see them when they're strung out, you know, really on drugs. It sounds like somebody who is feeling bad, feels a little better, I'm going to get out and ride my bike, I'm going to go do some things I enjoy, come home, I'm going I'm to treat these illnesses I have, legitimately prescribed by a doctor. The problem is, it seems like somewhere in there, some counterfeit pills have got mixed in there that contain fentanyl and pushed it over the top. That's tragic. Do you know kind of what happened the night that he passed away, the story of the, the string of events? My understanding that 
one of his representatives or somebody, maybe his bodyguard, I think he's involved in the story also, had called a, a pain management specialist out in California who had treated him before. Howard Cornfield, I believe is the person's name. I, I believe that's correct. Yeah. He was actually going there in person to treat Brent. So like this, this was a, a home call, so to speak. But when he arrived, it was that was I mean, he arrived in amongst the uh, discovery of a prince in the elevator. Again, I, I, I wonder if there is, in fact, a six hour window. You know, why that long? Did somebody not check on him? Was he supposed to be asleep? Right. Again, super private person. Maybe he said, hey, I, you know, I want to be a, alone for a while. Maybe that was commonplace for him. I don't know. how. Maybe that was his rule. You don't disturb Prince when he's in his room or whatever. Of course. Well, you know, who wouldn't expect that to be the case? Yeah. You know, but at some point in time, he's, he's found in this elevator and apparently, you know, had, had passed out at some point in this elevator and then ultimately uh, passed away. But the doctor was on the way there to treat him uh, for whatever was was going on. And, you know, again, I, in, a, in so many of these, these situations, there's so many questions that, that can be asked and should be asked. I, I feel like this is one that's been so investigated and so looked into by so many sources that I think the question ultimately comes down to was not, was this some sort of foul play? I don't believe so. Was this some sort of, I've gone to my, my secret place to do a bunch of drugs and now I died? Right. I don't think that's the case either. I think this is the case, just my opinion, uh, in my opinion alone, that this was a, a rising level of toxicity through fentanyl that ultimately resulted in a prince passing away. And the, the timeline and string of events leading up to it, really nothing about that stands out as just, I've said this many times, Chris, over the years. Uh, when I go to a crime scene, now I've investigated you know, quite a few murders in my in my time. In fact, a couple pretty well known uh, double murders. Hmm. Anytime you go to a scene of, of fatal violence or or a violent event, you're going to find some things out of place. I mean, you're going to find some things that quote don't fit. For example, if I were to be discovered tomorrow murdered in my own home. And someone come to my home, come inside, and they say, you know, they start investigating. They say, look, and they say, one of Carl's security cameras was out on his front porch. That's unusual. He's had that security system for years. Why is the camera out on the front porch? Well, it's because it, it went out, and I haven't had a chance to replace it yet. That's actually nothing sinister about it. It just right. I just haven't got around to doing it. Uh, they may come in and say, well, the couch is always over here. Why is it over there? because I decided to move it yesterday is why. But to someone that comes in, you can see all these things and you can start speculating. You start going, well, that's strange. There must be something to it. Not always. Not always is there something to it. Sometimes somebody just takes too much medicine that's tainted and passes away. Right. And as, as much as we want an explanation for how this incredibly talented, super popular idol of millions and rightfully so died we want there to be someone to blame and there is someone to blame someone made these pills we don't know who it's interesting too that the caller who called the ambulance you mentioned cornfield cornfeld i think so yeah cornfeld Cornfeld. his son was the caller and he had flown in 
that morning to devise a treatment plan for opiate addiction with, I guess, the the chemicals bupropenophene. So it looks like, is it possible that maybe Prince or at least Prince's doctors knew that this guy's got a problem? We got to try and get him off this stuff? Of course, absolutely. And and that's why I say that's what makes this so tragic is because it appears that he was trying to treat his opioid addiction. He was trying to treat, if he had a problem, he was trying to treat it. Perhaps, though, you know, there's an alternate explanation. Perhaps he keeps going to the doctor and they keep finding opioids in the system because he's taking tainted medication he thinks is legitimate. And they think, well, he's got opioids in the system. He must be addicted to opioids. And perhaps he is. Perhaps this was a tragic accident because there's no question these pills he he was taking that he passed away on were counterfeit. They weren't the medicine he thought he was taking. Now, how did that happen? Where did they come from? They never determined that. But even the medicine that he was expecting to take was still some sort of opioid, though? Yeah. yeah. Don't get me started on the opioid treatment by using opioids to treat opioids. Gotcha. Not being that I'm a doctor, but that sounds counterintuitive. But nevertheless, yes, that is uh, somewhat of a treatment option. So what I'm saying is, is the pills that Prince was ordering, even though they had fentanyl in them, had there been no fentanyl in them, there were still painkillers, right? I believe so. Gotcha. It's my understanding. Yes, yeah. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. So let's talk about what happened once Prince died, because this is a whole other thing that went down with the probate case and and people that were claiming pieces of his estate, uh, because that was all a big mess as well. Yeah, and I was actually surprised to learn when doing the podcast that still not entirely settled. Uh, Apparently, you know, he had no known offspring. Uh, He wasn't married at the time. So he had a sister that was known and a few half siblings. And according to the, you know, laws, uh, I suppose, of the state of Minnesota, the his estate is to be divided in, in some percentage up to those people who are now his next of kin. A lot of people came out of the woodwork claiming to be the, the illegitimate or offspring of, of Prince or the un, previously unknown children of Prince. That apparently has been settled as not true or, or not accurate. It's my understanding it's still just the uh, just the sister and the, uh, the half-siblings. that, And that's a lot of money. That's a lot of future money. Sure. <laughs> it's a substantial probate i would hate to be in charge of that and then when we're talking six years now this is this has been going on so undoubtedly it's quite the tangled web to untangle there over 700 people in the first three weeks after prince died claimed to be half siblings or descendants absolutely i mean think about that yeah they even had to go to the my understanding they had to go to the medical examiner uh who performed the autopsy and get a dna sample from you know, the samples collected from Prince so they can test all these people. I mean, we're talking many millions of dollars at stake here. Right. Like, as you said, because in the absence of the will, whoever has kind of blood relation to Prince, 
So there was his full sister and then five half-siblings all claiming a piece of the estate, which is unbelievable. You know, they had no will. Exactly. I mean, you think about it, just what we know, if your percentage of it was only 5% of the future earnings of a thousand unreleased print songs, you're probably set for life <laughs> just based on that, right. that alone. So, yeah, that is a is a very not inconsequential amount of money we're talking about. So what about um, like any type of criminal lawsuit towards pharmacists or whoever? It seems like somebody, like you mentioned, everybody wants somebody to be the scapegoat here. Well, then we're trading the line between criminality and, and, and civil uh, lawsuits. I would fully expect some sort of civil action against any number of these people, from the this Dr. Schulenberg to Cornfield to Walgreens to anybody and everybody in between. You know how that goes. You know, if there's anybody that's had their fingers anywhere near this, they can probably expect some sort of civil lawsuit. Criminal charges is a different matter because, you know, one of the things I've always, uh, I've often taught when I talk to younger officers and stuff is I wish our criminal court system had not started calling people guilty or not guilty. Instead, I wish they had used the terms lawful or unlawful, hmm. because that's really what you're trying to figure out is, is what you did against the law or is it lawful? What happened? And in this case, looks like everybody has been determined to have acted lawfully, except for whoever created these uh, counterfeit pills obviously acted unlawfully. The problem is even federal agencies have gotten involved and have been unable to determine who these persons are. And uh, that's very unfortunate because at the end of the day, those are the ones who criminally should definitely be, uh, you know, in some sort of criminal case with the death of Prince. It's interesting, though, just how, once again, I think it's almost the same with Michael Jackson. When you watch, you know, the This Is It documentary, you can kind of see how frail and small he is. Prince was already diminutive as it was, and he was very small and frail. And I've also been doing a little little research as we've been talking, and it said that he was in very big pain with his hands. He'd been doing the piano and microphone tour, which was just basically playing piano, and his hands were were a major source of pain for him at this point in time. Yeah, and I'm not surprised at all because that is a common affliction amongst musicians. I'm a I'm a huge fan. I'm a super fan of the uh, the group Rush, and right. even before the death of uh, Neil Peart, I mean Alex Lifeson was having tremendous pain in his hands from playing yeah. guitar all those years, and so it's it's common as you probably know yourself very well. Uh, many musicians who uh, who struggle with with that, that your, you know, your hands are only like a car. They've only got so many miles they're going to be good for before problems start. Well, yeah. And, and he, he was saying that his friends were trying to get him off these pills, but he was saying, I can't because I have to keep playing. And that's another thing I'd, I'd heard about this. It kind of jogs my memory. Mm-hmm. I heard he'd done the same. He used to wear those very, uh, like, I don't know if they're like beetle boots type thing and be jumping off the pianos and had a lot of problems with his feet. And he had to take these pills to kind of numb the pain to continue on. Same with the hands. But you're basically, when you're doing that, even if it's Vicodin, you're just putting a, a Band-Aid over, over the real problem. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you're just masking the pain. You're not fixing the injury for the most part. Inflammation, pressing on nerves and things like that. It's obviously a lot of wear and tear. And uh, whenever you're taking painkillers, opioids and things like that, you're just masking the pain. You're not, you're not 
curing the injury and, and the injury only gets worse. The, you know, whether it's arthritis or whether it's some sort of uh, ligament injury or something like that. And the problem is, as we know with a lot of athletes, and I'm sure you've seen this in your time very much, someone that has a, a nagging injury, uh, taking some sort of pain relief and further exaggerates their injury by doing so, because now, you know, you may wrap that knee up so many times, but you're still working on it and it's going to go bad at some point in time. And with musicians are, are, are no different, especially somebody, a multi-instrumentalist like Prince, who not only, I mean, just think about his hands, not only piano, but guitar and drums and he played everything. That's a lot. That's a lot of mileage. It's a lot of mileage. Let's kind of uh, talk briefly about him as a Jehovah's witness. Cause that was another thing where he, he claimed that he, he couldn't take drugs because of, of his religion and that sort of thing. Was he as staunch of a, of a Jehovah's Witness towards the end of his life as he was earlier on in his career? You know, it's very interesting, uh, that portion of his life. I, obviously, I can't speak to whether how deep he, deeply he was involved in that faith, but right. Jehovah's Witnesses are, are very well known to have certain things about modern medicine and, and, and that they are against that their moral convictions i don't allow them things if i understand like even blood transplants and stuff like that certainly certain types of drugs you know it makes one wonder uh had he had some sort of prior treatment would it have evolved into some sort of painkiller uh, addiction some sort of to end up having unique fentanyl or something like that and maybe legitimately he started uh, using fentanyl through pain patches or something like that mm -hmm. sometime earlier. That's just pure speculation, but that's what they were created for, Chris. I mean, that was what they were legitimately designed for. There's plenty of legitimate uses for fentanyl, but what ended up taking Prince's life was not a legitimate use. It was a counterfeit uh, medication laced with an unknown quantity of fentanyl. And that's where the problem starts. I mean, that's 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 a real issue when someone may have thought for years they were doing the right thing for legitimate purposes, you know, gets scammed, really. I mean, it's really a, a scam in a lot of ways. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. What I don't understand as, as we start to wind down here is... You know, you mentioned how somebody put these fentanyl pills into the into the Vikes, and it, you know what's happening quite a bit. You mentioned, you know, I know somebody actually, a friend of mine who whose friends died of a, when they were doing cocaine because it was laced with fentanyl. Why are these? I mean, I, you know, once again, why does anything happen? But why are these people killing their own customers? I don't understand. Is it some kind of a worldwide? rib on humanity or is there something going wrong where they're trying to lace it or trying to cut it with this fentanyl and it's too much like baking powder and cocaine yeah very, uh, yeah i mean nail on the head right there you know when you hear again that's the hype of fentanyl it's they wouldn't be killing their own customers obviously they're trying to enhance the the effects of it 
the a matter of fact, some of the most recent uh, fentanyl pills I've gotten off the street have looked just like prescription medications stamped out of a pill press. They have a number on one side, stored on the other. They look to the untrained person and even sometimes to the trained person, they look like legitimate medication. Then you test them and you find out, well, it's fentanyl, but it's also got cocaine in it. You ask the person. In fact, I've asked the, the last couple of people, what did you think you were taking? I mean, just be honest. You're, you're, right. you're called. I'm not going to use this against you, listen, but for my own knowledge, what did you think you were taking? And uh, they said, well, I thought it was taking something with methamphetamine in it. And one said uh, they thought they were taking like some sort of pain medication or something. And they suspected it had fentanyl in it. It was actually had cocaine in it. And so, again, what are you taking? I don't know. You know, what was this sold to me as? Buyer beware. I, uh, again, this may have been made in a laboratory by a drug cartel somewhere in Mexico and Ill- illicitly trafficked in the United States. And who knows, you know, who unloaded that car, that truck with that medication on there. I'm, I'm sure they don't go by the packing sheet on there may or may not be right. You know what I'm saying? Uh, who can know? Right. It's a lot of times it is unfortunately you didn't know. Uh, just my personal uh, opinion, and again, this has, I can't back this up with statistics or something, but I suspect, my suspicions are that sometimes some of these, quote, fentanyl deaths are actually maybe somebody who's been doing a lot of cocaine and they think they're taking the fentanyl now and they're actually taking fentanyl cut with some cocaine and it's pushing them over the, the top of that or heroin or, or whatever else is cut with, that they may be actually overdosing on that thinking they're getting something else, thinking they're, you know, I'm going to switch over to this other drug for a while so I can, you know, get down off the uh, heroin or whatever the the situation may be. And and that's uh, very unfortunate. I mean, that's that's scary. And why was nobody ever criminally charged with with this? Like even just the corporation Walgreens, if they gave Prince the Vicodin that had these fentanyl, wouldn't the, the company of Walgreens be liable for this? Would they try and sue them? Well, my suspicion is that the company Walgreens may have had nothing to do with this, that the counterfeit pills got into, for lack of a better term, Prince's stash through some other means. Gotcha. Maybe somebody else, you know, was there, somebody else run and picked up his medication. My understanding when first responders arrived, there were lots of pills all over the place. And this may have been a case of wasn't his to start with. Who knows? Uh, it's all speculation. Who, who can know where they come from? But he, I think, legitimately took something he didn't know he was getting. And where that come from, Right. multiple federal agencies couldn't figure it out. So, Well, it happens, too, when, when you're in that position. I mean, he's so overly popular and huge. You probably think you're a little bit bulletproof as well. I'm sure Michael Jackson had the same thing, you know, where just mm-hmm. how can I possibly ever overdose or pass away from this? It won't happen to me. Yeah, especially if it's something you've done multiple times before or, you know, consider this, you're not playing with your full faculties. Right. (laughs) You know, your drug toxicity is well up there and you're not of your right mind. You forget how many you've taken. Uh, That happens. Yeah. So there's that. And and Prince, his estate has never been settled on. It's still in litigation to this day between those six half-brothers and sister. I was reading an article from just uh, April of this year, and at that point in time, uh, it still hadn't been settled. Jeez. <laughs> it's baffling. Millions and millions of dollars sitting on the table. Well, and not just that, but probably control, like you said, of all the all the material that's in the vault, all the songs, all the video, 
all the whatever he was doing, who's ever going to own that and who decides when it when it gets released? That's the issue. Yeah, and as as a you as you can well testify to, there's a music company somewhere that wants to cover that. So. <laughs> So, um, you know, once again, I, I think you really nailed the issue on the head when we're like, well, why wasn't this more uh, publicized and why wasn't this more talked about? And it's basically because it was just an accident that happened. It wasn't, there was no conspiracy behind it or no foul play. That's correct, right? I think so. Uh, the, the only foul play would be whoever created these tainted pills to begin with. But I don't think it was an intentional action directed toward directly at Prince. It's a tragedy. And again, it's one of the first well-known cases. Right. Of fentanyl had not yet really been well publicized what was going on. It was just starting to really get into the public consciousness. That's a great point. If that happened today in 2022, there'd probably be a whole lot more of a spotlight on it because fentanyl is in the news now. Absolutely. Back then we were in the grips of the opioid epidemic and fentanyl was you know, not really on the radar yet. It was things like Oxycontin and, and things like that that were all the uh, rage and all the media was talking about. And the switchover had just begun. And we here in the deep south of middle America were still stuck. Chris, you have no idea just how devastating the methamphetamine ap- epidemic was here. Uh, it can't be overstated. It was so terrible, so tragic. So many people died. Uh, some new drug that's just coming along. Wouldn't really catch in a lot of attention. So fentanyl now in 2022, is it the, the most dangerous drug on the street? Certainly the most common one I've been seeing. So uh, last couple of things. Are you a Prince fan? Love Prince. Of course. Who, who would possibly <laughs> not be a Prince fan? Like, come on. Even if that's not your type of music, you've got to respect his musicianship. He's just incredible songwriter, incredible musician. What's not to respect? It's just incredible. What's your favorite Prince song? I hate to just be uh, obvious, but come on, When Doves Cry, 1999, you can just run the list. What day is it? Right, right, right. <laughs> what day is it? There's a really cool tune that I found, because once again, there, he's so prolific during his life and after, but there was a record that he put out that was called um, uh, Planet Earth, and there's a song on it called Guitar. Anybody that's listening that hasn't heard the song Guitar by Prince, it's, it's one of those things, if he was still on the radio, it would have been a, a, a huge hit. So final thoughts on, on Prince and the case, Carl? It's a, it's a tragedy. I, I know Prince's career for, you know, as far as a, a hit maker, a chart topper, that was in the past. But he was still so active. He was still so inspirational. Yeah. He was still training musicians, mentoring musicians. It's one of the 100 darkest moments in pop culture history. It doesn't mean Prince had this great career still ahead of him. Okay, he was probably in in the latter days of his active music making career, but there was still so much he had to offer to the world. And he was such a super talent. Anytime talent like that leaves this planet, we're worse off for it. I mean, like I said before, I'm a huge Rush fan. When you think about the death of Nick Peart, yeah, my gosh, just the fact that that talent is no longer here. The world's worse off for it. Well, here's the thing too, Carl. I mean, think about this. Prince would be 63 now. At, you know, I just saw the Stones two weeks ago and Mick was 80. Prince might not have had chart-topping hits. He might. But more importantly, Prince is a guy that could be playing stadiums and arenas all around the world. So you're right. He had a long way to go. And it is a shame that it was cut down 
you know, at such an early age, let's be, let's be honest, as we all get older, 57 is pretty fucking young when you, when you put it into perspective, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sitting here at 51, yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> it's a little closer to home than I would think. It's interesting you say that because that's a great point. Just a, a few weeks ago, we saw the Rolling Stones at Nissan Stadium in, in Nashville, Mick Jagger, just yeah, home run. My wife and I went and saw him, and we both agree. And we've seen many concerts, and that's what we do. And my website is cover concerts, and it's the best one. It's the best one. I agree. It's still <laughs> the best one. I know I've said this a few times, but this really is the last question. You mentioned being a police officer, and we talked about fentanyl and the problem that is. What if anyone's listening? What, what kind of warning or thoughts can you give? Because once again, I, I have teenagers. My son just went to college, and it's all you can say is, "Don't take." drugs because you know that's all over the place now any kind of final thoughts on the fentanyl uh issue and the problems that we're having with that in these days you know absolutely we, we think about it's my personal opinion that there is so much only so much you can do it's, it's at the end of the day it's a personal choice i'm glad in so many ways that we are at least destigmatizing to some degree people with addiction nowadays in, right. in modern society where you can come out and get help. And it's, it, it is looked at in a lot of ways as a health crisis rather than some sort of personal moral failing on one's part. If I were talking to, to youngsters and teenagers, look, you can say, say no to drugs all day long and look where that got us. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. 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 Putting wisdom and knowledge in, in youngsters heads to, Make good decisions, no matter what it is. If you're making good, wise decisions about your future, and that's the thing about young people. We, when we were young, we didn't think about our future. If we did, we would have done a lot of things differently. But the future's real, and here you and I are sitting here, uh, roughly in the same generation, looking back, thinking, "Man, if I could tell my 17-year-old self, you know, what I know now, what would I tell myself?" And, you know, that would build volumes. I would tell them it's not a moral failing to have addiction, but you if stay away from it. You know, we in our generation, it was cool. It was cool to do. And we felt like we were really. Well, there's a lot of difference between smoking some weed or, you know, smoking some hash and, you know, worrying about having cocaine laced with fentanyl. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Yeah, it's it's dangerous. Be be aware. I think kids nowadays are a lot more health conscious than than we were in a lot of ways. I think they're more athletically minded. One of the biggest rules about being an athlete is mind what you're putting in your body. Mind what you're putting in your body. Well, that goes there too. Well, Carl, it's great talking to you, man, and I appreciate it. And like I said, if you have the top 100 darkest moments, if any of them stand out to you, let me know and we'll do this again. Well, don't let Chris Jericho be one of those. Is what I what I. Uh, no, hell no, no. I, I've survived that. There's there's still time, so don't <laughs> no. Don't make the list. <laughs> yeah, I won't. I won't make the list. Come on, I'm the list guy. <laughs> Thanks, Carl. My pleasure. Thank you very much for having me. Great talking to you, man. Cheers. Yes, sir.